Down to Business with Bobby Kerr. Brought to you by Bank of Ireland on News Talk. Thank you so much. That's really, really wonderful. And we're going to have another uh, song from uh, the wonderful choir, uh, the, Ch- the Piccolo Lasso Choir, uh, after we do our business review of the week. I'm delighted to be joined by Stephen O'Leary and Valerie Cox, who are going to, uh, after that beautiful piece of music, try and bring us back to some uh, level-headed sanity uh, as we talk about what's in uh, Today's papers. Stephen, we might start with you. Um, there's not much in today's papers, but RT is always there. It always is. Uh, also, try to follow that as an act. I mean, talk about an act. <laughs> Unfortunately, I'm afraid nothing's going to top it. Yeah, what a beautiful sound. What a lovely way to, to open the show. Um, yeah, so this is front page news this morning. Um, it's an exclusive from Ashling Maloney. Um, and it's about the, uh, the barter accounts that, uh, that got so much discussion during the year. It comes down to the fact that there's a previously undisclosed one million barter deal uh, at RTE and it relates to training and education. Um, and actually the, the story, I suppose, kind of centres on the fact that this wasn't disclosed, um, that it wasn't clear, uh, that it wasn't properly documented uh, and so on. But actually, I think there's actually a, a huge amount of good in this yeah. um, because we hear consistently about training and education, about lifelong learning, about the importance of upskilling your staff. And I'm a small business owner. Um, We invest in the education of our team. There's only 10 of us, but I know how important it is to invest in the education of your your team. And I'm totally with you on that, Stephen. But just what I would say is that there was an opportunity when all this barter account stuff was going out to just bear it all, just grimace, get it over with, deal with it. So why conceal something again that we're now talking about if this this could have been disclosed months ago? It's a real shame because, uh, again, it, there could be so much good in this. Because yeah. you're absolutely right. If, if we weren't learning about this now in this way, uh, and certainly the headlines are going to be looked at, they'll see the one million euro figure, they'll see RTE, and we can immediately gauge the negative reaction it, it's going to generate. But 
barter accounts by their very nature make so much sense, right? You've got something that you can't sell, advertising space. And the person who wants to give you something is something they can't sell, yeah. college places. You match the two up and everybody wins, including upskilling the staff within a large organisation. This should be a good story, but unfortunately it's not. It's also common practice in, in media organisations to use barter systems because it's a currency. And it's a, you know, a currency that you have. And you're right to optimise it. And we constantly talk about the circular economy, about, about avoiding waste. This is such a great way to avoid yeah. waste. Two sides have got something, exchange. <clears throat> so Valerie, really, it's not about the content here, Gordon to Stephen. It's about the timing of this. Yeah, I mean, it's an absolutely brilliant idea. Yeah. And, you know, we would all laud companies that enhance their staff's progress, their skills and make access easier. Because, you know, a lot of people, when they're working, you're maybe you've got kids, you've got family, whatever. And it's difficult enough to come up with the fees, which can be quite hefty. And I think RT has done a great thing in that. And just Stephen mentioned barter accounts there. You know, I remember working in a local radio station and at one stage the DJs were being paid in Swiss rolls. And that was a barter account with a cake company. I think the problem here is just literally the uh, governance procedures and the fact that, you know, it probably wasn't properly audited. But, you know, it's something that could have been overlooked. I don't know what way they do their accounts yeah. and I wouldn't understand them anyway. Although I know so much more about RTE's accounts now than in the last few months. I'm sure everybody does. But really, um, it's probably something that got overlooked. I cannot see RTE actually trying to hide this. I think it's more of an oversight than uh, Yeah, it, it would seem there would no advantage to concealing it. No. Uh, so why would you? Uh, no. that's, I think you're right about that. Um, just to, to close out on RT, and we've lots more to talk about. Um, the minister wants to scrap the TV license fee. Again, this is not a surprise. No, and it makes a lot of sense. I mean, it's a really hard system to enforce. It's a legacy system for charging yeah. for yeah. things. Exchequer funding feels like a much more equitable way to, to fund a broadcaster. It's a dinosaur at this stage. Yeah. And we just have to find a new way of doing it. And, you know, as we moved into social media and so many other outlets and systems of getting our news and our stories and so on, I think it became inevitable that the TV licensing system doesn't work anymore. Plus, anybody over a certain age gets a free one. Yeah. I don't know what the numbers are. So, yes, this is a great idea. OK, uh, let's move to a, a business story. Uh, Revolut, um, again, uh, often heralded for being a kind of a, a, a different breakaway bank that does things different. And I'm sure lots of lots of established banks would like to see these guys struggling. Uh, so it's 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 their accounts which were long delayed for 2022 have just come out. And there's some interesting reading in there, Stephen. There is. This is a, I mean, you know, it's, it's obviously very close to Christmas. Um, and this story probably won't get the kind of coverage that it maybe would do at other times of the year. But this is a really significant story. And I think what often gets forgotten when it comes to Revolut is it's still a relative startup. Yeah. In terms of of banking, right? When you think about the the hundred, two hundred, three hundred year old banks that that exist, so in a way, there are losses here, right? Um, for the year in twenty twenty two, and but revenue is the thing to keep a focus on, up forty five percent, which is absolutely yeah. incredible. And the standout statistic in all of this for me is they're adding three hundred thousand new customers a week. Yeah. I mean that is staggering growth and. You know, if you think about some of the tech companies, take Facebook, for example, and the losses that it accumulated over the first 10 years of its life. And you look at it now as a mature company (laughs) and how much money it is making from its users. Revolut is on that cusp. 
Yeah. You know, if you think about the number of people it can sell mortgages to, provide products to. Like you've got you've a startup here, a highly disruptive startup coming into a very onerous legislative environment. And so all the all the pillars are going to be trying to, you know, keep them out. These guys are weaving their way into an established kind of uh, heavily, heavily uh, legislated environment. So that's why this is actually so important. They had this deadline of the end of the year. If they had missed filing their accounts, if these hadn't gotten in this week, they would have put them under massive pressure. And really, in terms of the banking license in the UK, you you would have had a regulator saying, well, look, that's two years in a row now. You've missed the deadline. Making this deadline is significant. Um, Valerie, just the standout figure for me is a different one than the one figure uh, that Stephen alluded to. It's that in 2021, the valuation of the business is 33 billion euros. Yeah, I mean, that's what we have to... Like, don't be worried about losing 20 million if you're worth 33 billion. (laughs) Exactly. Uh, And the other thing which struck me is Revolut has become so popular and people like it. It's so simple. I was in a restaurant the other day and when it came time to paying the bills, somebody walked over and said, um, yeah, are you revoluting this? You know, because obviously they can divide yeah. it immediately between everybody if they want. But, you know, once they get this license, there's no stopping them. And I think people are going to be particularly interested in loans. And if they move into the mortgage market, it could change the scene entirely. But it's also, for me, about the power of simplicity, mm-hmm. the power of making something easy to interact with that actually does make you know, your day-to-day life easier. There's a huge value in that as a business. And we talk, I mean, a a term you hear an awful lot in business at the moment is user experience. And sometimes it can be kind of this mystical, mythical thing. But really, that's what it comes down to, simplicity. How easily can you transact with an application? And Revolut do that really well. Valerie, I'm really impressed with the tourist numbers, particularly they've just been reported from the Central Statistics Office for November. We had... uh, Tourists spend half a billion, 500 million here last yeah. month alone. If for a November, it's a, it's a massive figure. It's a massive figure. And we had 447,500 visitors in November. And most of them seem to have stayed for four, five, six days even. And they spent around a thousand euro ahead, which is huge money, absolutely yeah. huge. Now, obviously, in the beginning, there were problems, um, or towards the end of November, there were problems with um, vandalism and so on. And then, of course, we had the riots. So it's going to be very interesting to see, you know, will these visitors return? Have they been put off? Especially from the warnings that went from the embassies in um, the in Canada, the United States. You know, yeah. are they going to heed that and not come back? Or will they keep this up? It'll be very interesting to see where we are, say, after the February figures come out. Yeah, I was struck, just I, was, I walked through Trinity yesterday and I was I, I I I came across like three walking tours that had like thirty people on each of them, and these were all tourists. Yeah, and I'm saying, what are they doing here? You know, in a yeah. uh, in a cold, yeah. uh, dark December afternoon. Yeah, but, but it's great to see it. They don't seem to have been put off. No, by what's happened. I think people have come back into the city, but I also think it's important that the retailers in the city, they've done such a good job. I mean, there's bright lights everywhere. It doesn't feel like it's dark and gloomy. It's a pleasure to go into the shops around town and to walk around and hear the music and drink coffee. Although this morning, I have to say, coming in, 12 
cars were clamped in a clear way where they probably were celebrating last night and thought, OK, here's no yellow yeah. lines. I'll park here. That's mean for They Christmas. were tricked. Yeah, yeah. Stephen, just uh, and I know you have a role uh, in the uh, Chamber of Commerce, so I'd be interested in your views on this next story, um, which the headline is slightly misleading. He had a knuckle duster, a vodka bottle, but once Gardy came, he backed off. Shop owners welcome extra patrols, and I have to say, I'm seeing them. Uh, yeah, this is Paddy Curran. He's the owner of um, Patterson and Yule on College Green, um, a very distinctive looking man and a very distinctive looking shop. Um, I think any of your listeners who've passed it definitely will, will know where it is and what it looks like. And you're right, the headline kind of stops you in your tracks uh, and obviously has huge negative connotations. And, you know, the, there was reference made there to the warnings um, given to visiting travellers um, by embassies um, within the last month. But the turnaround in the city centre is absolutely incredible. And that's really what this article kind of touches on, the, particularly the increased guard of presence, because the follow-up to the headline is that once this assailant stepped out of the stop, there was a guard within 10 feet yeah. uh, who stepped in to deal with the situation. And that's probably the single biggest change we've seen in the last month. Anyone who's been in and out of the, the city frequently will have seen a really increased guard of presence and an increased level of safety. But that's combined with the work that the retailers are doing. Yeah. So, so that point about kind of the lights, I mean, O'Connell Street is transformed. You know, there are people now going to O'Connell Street to pose with the I Love Dublin sign that's in the middle of the city. It's There's really important we keep this up, though, isn't it? Like, it's just so important and, that this gets followed through in January. And that is, I think, probably one of the most asked questions at the moment. And certainly in the Chamber of Commerce, we hear that consistently. It's so good to see this. And and all the figures in terms of the, the footfall increasing, the, the spend going up. But this cannot just fall off a cliff in January. There has to be a sustained level of policing into 2024. Yeah. I think we had a kind of a major wake-up call societally. And I think, you know, everybody now is really tuned to this, that this is too big to mess around with. But also... And we can't get it wrong. And But look at the positive effect when you do it. Yeah. Look at yeah, how think, great the city can be, how great it can feel, how safe it can feel. If it can be sustained, I mean, look at the potential for 2024. Yeah, and of the 170-odd Garthi that graduated from Templemore the other day, 100 of them have gone straight into the city. Yeah. And that's very important. Yeah. But I also think, you know, when you look at that, you've got to remember, rural Ireland is out there as well. Yeah. You know, they still have to look, uh, yeah. you know, in many no, areas. No, it's not like, an us and them thing. It's just, exactly. Um, and just when you're, while you're there, Valerie, massive discounts as retailers do battle for strategic last minute Christmas sales. This is also good news. It is very good Because news. if the retailers are, are, are competing at this level, it means... You know, there's bargains to be had. There's bargains to be had and people are spending quite a lot of money. Some people have cut back a little bit, but certainly the bargains are there. I mean, I've been buying things, obviously, with everybody else over the last few weeks. And the last two, three weeks particularly, there are very definite bargains coming in on recognisable brands. You know, not this weird thing that was made in Hong Kong 10 years ago, whatever, you know. But really good stuff is being discounted now. Yeah. So, I mean, I wouldn't even be waiting for the sales. I'd be out there if you see what is something you want. Yeah. I bought an electrical item that was down by €100 Euro and it was genuine. So, Absolutely. You know, it's very, very good. Stephen, your views on uh, the St. Stephen's Green Centre plan is a monstrosity. Council needs a dose of cop on, says a TD. Um, we pass it every morning here. It's right behind us. The Stevens Green Centre, built in the 80s. Um, like, so it kind of is pastiche in one sense, but 
all of a sudden, I, I was saying to you earlier that I'm amazed that before a building is built, how people can really be envious of it or hate it and not want the library in Dunleary being an example. But now that it's there, everybody loves it. Could the same happen with this centre? Yeah, I mean, I think this is a consistent thing that we hear all the time, right? So, like, unfortunately, architecture and design is um, divisive. And so there will be people who will welcome change and they look forward to this progression. And then there will be people who will clamour for keeping the old and keeping the past. And there's a balance to be struck, right? We do want heritage to be maintained. We want to have that nice mix of old and new. But the designs here are really, really nice. And it, it, it's the injection that this will have in that part of the city. The new retailers who can, who can come there, the enhanced space for customers. Like, there's so much positivity here, but you're always going to get people who will have... Yeah, the worry for me is, I suppose, that there's less retail in there, that it's more, like, if it's going to be led, office-led, as opposed to retail. But, you know... There's no point in having empty retail in there. It, and it's mixed use. Yeah. And that's what you want because the people who are in offices will yeah. use the retail. So it is a kind of a virtuous cycle when you get the balance right. Valerie, can I ask you about this piece? I think it was in the New York Times about cheats, liars oh, yes. to the four in the year. <laughs> the year of incompetent fraud, they're calling it. Oh, Bobby, I loved this one. Yeah. Um, so maybe Ro- explain it to our <laughs> listeners if you would. Well, Robert Armstrong has picked out several people who were slightly dishonest maybe over the past year or so. And he's giving advice as to how to lie. First of all, you have to have lots of friends. Don't go it alone. And then you can spread the blame when you're all caught. Lying is a tool, not a lifestyle, he says. And, you know, you've got to be very careful where you tell the lies because you really don't want to spend the new year um, in court or in jail. But I was just thinking, like, you know, what he's writing about there, it's all foreign stuff like Rudy Giuliani and... um, I suppose I, he didn't include Trump, did he? No. Elizabeth but, Holmes. Yeah, uh, we've lots of this stuff in Ireland. And if you just think about it, you know, all the times this has happened. What I actually loved was, you remember George Orwell's quote, political language is designed to make lies sound truthful and murder respectable and to give an appearance of uh, solidity to pure wind. I thought that was great. But then we've had so many examples. I couldn't think of many, but Enda Kenny, remember when they were trying to close Roscommon County Hospital? He went down and he said, we are committed to maintaining this, these services. And then, of course, when they didn't, he said, at least we have the courage to change. You know, I mean, we have this sort of thing all the time in Ireland. We also had it when the IMF came in and Michal Mark was saying, no, 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 the IMF is not taking over the country. And sure, the Troika was already at the door, you know. <laughs> Walking across Stephen's Green. Stephen, um, I, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a debate every year. Um, it's one of my favourite movies. But the question is, is it a Christmas movie? There's a letter today's Irish Times, which I'll read to you. I'm disappointed that Patrick Frayne's list of the 10 favourite Christmas films doesn't include Die Hard. That was in Culture in December 22nd. Christmas isn't Christmas until the evil hands, played by Alan Rickman, falls off the Nakatomi Plaza Plaza building. Yours, Pavel, from Dungarvan. Yeah, and now, I... This is a serious subject. This is, and I'm, I'm disappointed we're actually not going to get more time to discuss this, but in a way it probably doesn't need a lot of discussion. Die Hard is 100% a Christmas movie. Okay. Well, thank you for that. And thank you for joining us this morning, Stephen O'Leary and Valerie Cox, um, for our festive uh, business story review. So we're now going to have um, a second song by our wonderful Piccolo Lasso Choir. And I think we're going to have Joy to the World. Ha <laughs> ha
Thank you so much. Thank you so much. And I just want to thank Ezo O'Donovan uh, for all her hard work and bringing all these wonderful children in here into the studio. Ezo, thank you so much. Down to Business with Bobby Kerr. Brought to you by Bank of Ireland. Saturday morning at 11 on News Talk.